Welcome to Associated, a podcast making venture capital more accessible. My name is Francesca and I'm joined today by Lois. And I'm very excited to welcome Elise today from Relay Ventures, our first international fund. Hello, Elise. How are you? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me. How long have you been in isolation for? We have been working from home since March 13th and it's now April 22nd been in isolation for maybe like a month. I'm kind of an introvert anyway, like in that I'm happy spending time alone. This is way too much (laughs) introverted, but I've been relatively okay. I totally know what you mean about like cleaning and exercising. I saw a tweet that said something like, I feel like I'm in American Psycho. I just pace around my immaculate apartment and drop and do 20 push-ups. Yeah. At first I was really excited that I was getting all my cleaning tasks off my list. And then I finished like a weekend and was like, well, only indefinite amount of weeks left and all list is done (laughs) oh dear and and I imagine you guys are actually behind us right because Relay Ventures is a Canadian and North American fund and you're in Canada right yeah so we are a North American based company and I like most of our team am based in Toronto it hit us a little bit later but we're in a full-blown state of emergency as a province now I think we're hitting our peak so hopefully it will be getting better from now right in London I mean and so Elisa Freelay is a a North American fund what does that mean for your um, thesis which geographies are you interested in So we are North American based and mostly invested in North America as well. So we have two offices in the U.S. and two in Canada. So one in Menlo Park, one in San Francisco, one in Toronto and one in Calgary. And so the majority of my team, like I said, myself included, are in Toronto. So we mostly invest in North America and we are interested in early stage companies, usually entering at Series C or A. And our focus areas are fintech prop tech, like real estate, sports and entertainment, and micromobility. Online, it is mentioned as mobile, and we kind of consider that as a broad definition of sort of from the sensor to the cloud, and those are our focus areas within that. Awesome. And could you tell us a little bit more about some of the investments that you've made recently? Um, So very recently, we have been on pause and just kind of nurturing our current portfolio, but Some of the investments that we have in our portfolio existing are seven shifts. And along that, we also have Touch Bistro, which is what we consider in our fintech portfolio when they do payments and restaurant front of house, back of house type stuff. And some fintech, we have Greenlight, which does debit cards for kids. And so that kind of makes banking and financial literacy more accessible to them and is really interesting and exciting to us. That's super cool. And that leads me quite nicely onto your title, which is finance analyst. Is that right? Yeah. So I'm the financial analyst at Relay. And so I'd say it's not what most people think of in terms of roles when they think of VC. So I actually deal with things after our investment. So I'm not dealing with pipeline and meeting potential investments or really as outward focused as a lot of the investment team is. So I do our valuations of our investments and the reporting, whether that's to our LPs sort of quarterly or annually with the audit or for like tax purposes and stuff like that. Mm, that's so interesting. How did you get into that? So really is actually my first job out of university. Um, so I'll be there around four years in the summer. I did a general commerce degree 
and was kind of in that stage where you're graduating and thinking about what you want to do and applying to a bunch of jobs and really was really exciting. And I was not someone who was specifically like gunning to get into VC, which it seems like a lot of people are because it's such an exciting industry. And I just kind of fell into it and really enjoyed it and have stayed on. Yeah, cool. And um, it sounds as though you did a degree in something a little bit more practical than me. I did, <laughs> I did my studies in English literature. So um, I just wonder, like, we must have had quite different experiences when graduating and starting to look at careers and stuff. What were some of the other options that were open to you? I knew that I wanted to do something finance related and something still very analytical, but I didn't necessarily want to do investment banking, hardcore finance. Um, and so I just applied for really a variety of analyst positions. And, and so that can be so many different things. And so I applied to some jobs outside of VC as well, but still kind of finance team and analytical work within there. My sort of internship in university was actually a market research analyst. And so that was interesting to me as well, modeling future markets. In this case, in that case, it was like typically med tech devices in the U.S., but I definitely knew I wanted something quantitatively analytical. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, interesting. And I think, you know, for a lot of people getting into venture capital, valuations and financial analysis and reporting and that kind of stuff is all quite new and can be quite intimidating. Could you tell us a bit about you first started? What did you do to kind of get into it and to, to teach yourself the ropes of that? Yeah, it definitely was a big learning curve. Even though I thought VC was interesting, it was something that I didn't learn about until I really got into the industry. I think it's kind of so niche and sometimes insular in that way. And so there was a lot of Googling and blog reading, then the great onboarding process in terms of we had an intern that had overlapped and was able to help train me on some of that. And the person leaving the role had written up a great manual, but it definitely became a lot of learning about the industry and over time learning about industry norms and then Googling and asking lots of questions, which I'm very lucky that was and still is very open and kind of flattened and hierarchical way where you can ask lots of questions and take time to sit through and discuss something. Or if you need help with something, you can try it and then review it. And it's all very iterative and collaborative. For sure. Do you have any favorite blogs that you could recommend? Not so much blogs, but I found it really helpful to be in tune with all of the like news and to be able to participate in those conversations within the office. And so like the Verge and TechCrunch and I really like Wired as well, which isn't quite as VC specific, but I think it's interesting for overarching trends and information. I find the same thing because I think finding stuff on Google is often the way that we learn stuff now and especially starting out in this kind of role. Actually, there's so much amazing content out there, um, but often it's sort of, it's quite dispersed. So I just wondered if you had any recommendations that we'd list it on our Notion page where we try and collate all of the interesting things that our guests mention. Sadly, I haven't found like the holy grail blog yet. For news, I do also really like launch ticker for like a daily news feed, a couple emails a day. But yeah, I haven't found that perfect blog that has all my VC questions answered yet. Maybe you can write it. (laughs) I actually had a question because I'm sure you are a very valuable resource for both your fund, but also presumably the the companies in your portfolio, do they leverage your skills when they need it? So for sure, companies do utilize that. And so as an investor, we try and take quite an active role 
in our companies. And that ends up being utilizing almost everyone at the relay team. And so myself and one of the investment analysts as well, who's came out of investment banking and is an unreal modeler for different types of models and stuff like that. We kind of offer up our skills and we'll meet with the companies, which I really enjoy. I think that's such a valuable resource. And and you mentioned previously that you are a fund that likes to get really involved um, with the portfolio. So what other things other than utilizing your skill sets and your, your colleagues' skill sets, what else do you tend to bring to the table? Yeah, so we always say kind of our network is our big value add. And so because we're concentrated across North America and we are right now managing four funds, we've had lots of different people and lots of different exits and companies. And so we're often a big part of hiring decisions and referrals and stuff like that. And then often the partners will take a board seat and we'll get down into model work as well. If we can't help with the portfolio company's needs, at least be able to refer to someone who can. I think that's very valuable. And each fund seems to have a different value add, but I think network is is so important and, and often undervalued. Yeah. I really want to get into, just from my own personal curiosity, your investment in Bird, the, the scooter company. Because in Europe, it's quite a controversial investment like the rental electric scooter market. And in fact, in the UK, it's banned for rental and it's banned really in London for any form of use, although you do see people using them. Um, I always envision them full speed and then the minute they see a police officer just like naturally just scooting past them. <laughs> <laughs> That's essentially like what you're only allowed to do. So I'm keen to understand why Relay invested in Bird? Yeah, so we invested in Bird and Bird Canada, which is the rights to bring it to Canada as well. And so Bird Canada before this was in a couple of cities across Canada. And so we're really interested in that micromobility and the last mile sort of space. Um, and we were big believers in Bird's products. It's definitely still controversial here as well. I think until Bird Canada opened here and I think there was one other electric scooter company active in Canada it wasn't allowed and so we haven't had the same overcrowding taking up that like last part of the sidewalk so it hasn't hit that like negative aspect but we hear so much about it because there were the same sort of issues in the states as well and you hear about it in Europe and I think everyone saw those like bike graveyards in China and that mass peel and just scooters everywhere. So our thought, I think, is that it's still an incredibly valuable product and micromobility in the last mile is still going to be very important. And if it can be introduced thoughtfully, then that can be really great as well. And so we're believers in it, but also understand that it is tough as well. And it's tough now, like Bird Canada has now shut down because you can't be out. So what are you going to do on a scooter? Which is interesting to see, like Bird scooters aren't allowed in Toronto, but I do have one of those like bike share things like this, but also my own personal bike, which I love the bikes to get around before, because then if you're meeting a friend or if it's going to rain, you aren't committed to this bike and the same would apply for the scooters. But now I'm like, do I want to get on something that I don't know how many people have touched and all that? So yeah. It's, and like, personally, I think it's very interesting how all these things have disrupted the market, not quite the same way you thought, like Uber's big idea was that it was going to take cars off the road. And it kind of turns out it's putting 
more cars on the road. And so I think an electric scooter, instead of hopping in an Uber to go two blocks, is a more sustainable way to get there. It's really interesting. And are there any other um, trends that you're particularly excited about after reading all those blogs? Um, I really like, since I'm not so much on the investment side and don't dig that deep into the background, I get really excited about the companies that I understand more easily. (laughs) And so we have some, like, I think of as quite deep tech that they work on the background and the infrastructure and all these things. And I'm writing about what they do for the reports. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm saying. So I get really excited about the ones that like, I can interface with or relate to. And so I think that's why Bird Canada, like I mentioned, Seven Shifts, like I was a server when I was working growing up. And so I like the companies that I can see the direct effect on like me or a friend and can relate to. No, that's understandable. And and as you said, you, you write up these reports. Uh, and you also mentioned to me off this recording that you are part of the Monday meetings. What is your contribution to those Monday meetings? Because from what I know about Monday meetings, it's going through the, the current deal flow. Um, do you kind of come in to listen to that and then contribute to what the current portfolio company is up to? So pre-COVID, I actually wasn't a part of the Monday meetings. But post-COVID and working from home, we have like a daily all-hands meeting. And so that has moved to the Monday meeting as well. So I have to say I don't contribute that much other than being a great check on the current portfolio. I don't actually generally contribute to Monday meetings because before this, I wasn't sitting in on it because like you said, it is pipeline and deal flow and stuff like that. And do you think that will be the same once you go back to normal or do you think you'll continue to be part of those meetings I'm actually not sure we're in the office we're very tight for space on the meeting room and it is interesting being in there and having a better idea of what's coming down the pipeline because that affects the finance team's work as well whether or not there's going to be a cap call coming up and stuff like that so it'll be interesting to see that like the information that I provide goes into the meeting on like a piece of paper. So it's not like I had no input, but it was before the meeting back end updating the investment analysts on like, this is the value of this. And this is how much we own of that. Mm. I'm interested in the, um, the kind of pattern of work that you have at least because it just the Monday meeting stuff just got me thinking, do you have certain milestones that you need to hit? Do you report in a certain time frame? Like, for example, I work for a corporate VC and we have to do fair value assessments on our portfolio. So that happens six monthly because we're a regulated financial services company. Uh, Do you have anything like that? Do you work in certain cycles or is it more ad hoc? Um, There's definitely a bit of both large cycles. We have an annual audit. And so that's kind of our most in-depth and most formal valuation process and so there'll be like an investment valuation memo for every active portfolio company so that's a huge part of my job for like a couple months of the year either preparing or during the audit itself and so that happens annually and then we do quarterly reports and so those have deadlines as well for every two months out of the quarter end whereas audit is three months out and then tax time is also a big deadline for pulling things like that (laughs) But then within there, there's a bunch of individual, like we have limited partners that we agreed to some reporting to in order to get their commitment. And so right now I'm working on one that has to do with reporting things that we already have in their format, but also 
getting some information from the portfolio companies about like their full-time employees at this date or like how much money was made inside versus outside of Canada and some various things that they've requested. And so it's up and down. And then of course, just classic small team things of if somebody needs something or this piece of information, then that kind of becomes a big priority for that week. Yeah, sure. Sorry to be a nerd. I'm just actually quite interested. Like, obviously I love conversations about what key trends are you interested in and all of that stuff. But actually more recently, I'm really interested in process, which sounds so dull to say I'm embarrassed but I am (laughs) I think it's really interesting to hear about what people's uh, cycles are and what the process is because I often wonder how often should you be checking on these kind of things like you know whether it's financial reported or like you say audits and checking on that but I guess with your fund you must have lots of different stakeholders like you say with LPs and with internal stakeholders who are constantly asking you for more information yeah so our limited partnership agreement has the things that we're like we're required to do an AGM like an annual general meeting once a year and audited statements once a year and then those quarterly reports and then like I said through some like side letters etc there'll be individual things and then the same way that sometimes we'll be interested in information like right now we were interested in the effects of staff and rifts and things like that and so it went back to comparing pre and post COVID full-time employee numbers. And so it kind of varies based on who needs what, when, and it's that constant juggling act of ad hoc requests and contractually obligated reporting. So I don't necessarily think that I've heard of that many people who have such a definitive role as looking exclusively at financial analysis, but you'll probably have a better idea of that than me. Do you know how common your specific role is amongst other VC funds? I don't really. I mean, obviously every VC fund needs to have their investments valued. We have a great and supportive VC community in Toronto, but I think there's probably less discussed with like operations and backend. And so as connected as I am in that, I don't know that I've ever met someone who has my specific role. I think that's also because so many VC companies structure their company so differently in terms of who does what. And um, I've I've got a question about getting the data, actually, because when I worked at a VC fund, I was responsible for getting term sheets and financials and founders are very busy people um, and often doing a million things at once. So very often I found quite slow responses from a fair few of them and, and pretty messy data to be honest which you know I'm like that's not exactly what I wanted um how do you get that data because you are dealing with some pretty early stage companies where they might not necessarily prioritize getting their financials in order for you yeah that's definitely a significant part of my job as well because we have some older funds we're still managing as well on like one end of the spectrum, we have really beautiful, like sophisticated financial models and really great response rates from an actual CFO. And then we have emailing the CEO being like, can I have this thing that to me seems so straightforward? And they're like, what do you mean by that? Or they give it to <laughs> you and they're like, mm, that's not quite what I meant. Um, and so a lot of it is a part of that is requesting it and walking them through that. And it's also part of, I guess, the value we add is like, talking about oh maybe this isn't the best way for you to be translating like this information into that way or oh this is what a typical cap table should look like 
whereas you have kind of given a share ledger instead. And so like, here's a template that I've made that maybe you could consider using and your other investors might find this helpful as well. So that's definitely part of it. And it's definitely, there's the companies, you know, you'll get a great quality, quick response. And then the company, you know, that you're like, okay, I'll pencil it in my calendar to remember to follow up next week. <laughs> that's so true though, isn't it? Cause it's not just a request and a response. It's actually more of a conversation because often that I'll be asked for some information, maybe on a portfolio company. And when you request that, you discover that they don't measure things that way. And so you have to find a workaround and understanding those metrics, I find really helpful for getting under the skin of the business a bit more. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's really interesting and like a good reciprocal process to learn why they measure it that way. And sometimes because the early stage, it's because they didn't know that that's not the way to do it. And this was an easy way to set it up. And so like I said, I think that can be part of our value add is to help them with their reporting and advise them on what other funds probably would also appreciate. Yeah, sure. And equally in the opposite direction, sometimes you discover that they measure it that way for a really good reason that you hadn't thought of. And actually you should go back to whoever asked you the information and explain that to them. Yeah, I find it like, especially with KPIs, like it can be so specific that maybe that is more meaningful to measure it on that granular level, even though it's not the classic industry standard, if it is better suited to their business model, then ultimately it's a better metric. Definitely. Yeah, totally. And I, I've got another question about valuation. And I, I like asking this question to VCs because in until you do another round, right, then valuing a company is a challenge. So how do you value companies for your reports if they haven't had a recent funding round? So it is generally at the like post money of the last round, unless it's a new investment, then we'll probably keep it at cost. If it's been quite a long time, that's the time that like those memos and KPIs will be so important because there is that justification to our auditors. It's a case that it speaks better that they haven't had to raise around because they haven't been burning cash endlessly and they've been pulling in money. So you're lacking that external valuation, but it can be good for the business model. So it can be helpful that way. Otherwise, sometimes if they do have inbound interest, it can be nice to have a nice external what someone would pay. And so it's kind of just based on what information is available and a matter of understanding why that is fair and justifying that. And then unfortunately, every once in a while, there's those provisional write downs that maybe they aren't worth that anymore. Mm, mm. Um, should we go into question time? Okay. Awesome. So we've got a question from Dave. Thank you very much, Dave. So Relay Ventures seem to have a mobile focus. How do they view the natural evolution of mobile phones? Will one of the main things, for example, be that the screens will get continuously bigger to accommodate growth in mobile gaming and entertainment streaming on our phones? So thank you, Dave, for the question and the obvious research into our fund. It's much appreciated. Um, when we say mobile, I guess that term to us doesn't just mean mobile phones we kind of mean like mobile technology like I said the from the sensor to the cloud so I don't know that we have specific iPhone or mobile phone predictions but we do definitely see the second screen becoming a bigger part of people's lives so if that's you're watching a sports game but also have the sports stats up and like also tweeting about it and engaging in different platforms while watching a different screen that's something we think about as well and interesting that it will continue to evolve over time but I don't know that we have it mapped out for our 
vision of the mobile phone? Um, well, we, we were chatting about this answer off this podcast and uh, my response to the evolution of the mobile phone was that I'm reading a book called Invisible Women, Exposing Data Bias in a World Designed for Men, which is brilliant. And there is a chapter on mobile phones and how the average female size hand is smaller than the males and females generally struggle to hold and type using one hand or some iPhones because they're so big Um, and the author Caroline emailed a, a phone designer and said, you know, this is a problem. And he responded, uh, oh, well, don't worry. We've, we've maxed out on the phone size because the biggest phone that we have, it fits perfectly with the average male hand size, so we won't be going any bigger. So I think with mobile phones, the evolution won't be it making it bigger, but certainly it's interesting to think about, well, what does the second screen look like? To your point that, you know, we're often on four different platforms at once. So what is that going to be looking like in the future? Certainly an interesting question. Thank you very much, Dave. We'll be going for a virtual coffee with Elise. And are you hiring at the moment at Relay? We are not hiring at the moment. Um, I think like many other funds, we're kind of on pause. Well, funds and companies alike right now are kind of on pause for personnel, but hopefully maybe sometime in the future. And is there a certain kind of person that Relay Ventures tends to hire? There's not. I think we kind of value a ability to have a more diverse background. Right now we do have like in terms of other analysts, we've got an engineer, but then also a former banker. So I mean, definitely a knowledge of the ecosystem and an ability to like dive into those models and meet those future founders or different portfolio companies, but there's not a strict background for us in terms of who we're looking for amazing well that's good to know that that you're um open to a diverse group of people with different experiences i I think that makes a very good vc fund for sure well thank you so much elise for your time and i've learned so much about finance and, and how that's applied to a portfolio company Um, and potential future investments. And I I actually think every VC fund should have a financial analyst. Me too. I think it's a great role as well. Yeah, thank you so much, Elise. We really appreciate you joining us. And to our lovely listeners, thank you so much for tuning into Associated. Uh, Remember, you can get updates on the latest guests that we're going to have. And when episodes drop on Twitter, we're at associated underscore pod. P-O-D. And if you want, you can also email us on associatedpodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, please do subscribe and leave us a rating uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast. And we'll see you next week.